We are continuing on in the book of Romans this morning. If you want to turn there, it's page 941. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's where we're going to begin in Romans chapter 4. As we begin this morning, as we jump into the book of Romans, let me first uh, just thank you uh, last week for your affirmation. Uh, These last couple of weeks have been awkward for me, thinking about, wondering really whether or not you still like me, I guess. Um, And it sounds like maybe you still do, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful not just for the affirmation for for the extended call for me, but I, I also thought several times this week about how grateful I am for the the affirmation for our elders uh, and trustee and mission board that we had last week at our local church conference. Those were were unanimous too, and I'm just grateful for uh, the way that God is leading us, the men that he is using to lead us, and and just the, the body that we have and the unity that we have amongst our body. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. This morning, we are going to continue to look at Romans. As you know, if you've been with us, we're, we're walking through the letters of Paul coming out of our series in Acts. We're, we're now reviewing what, where was Paul when he wrote certain letters, what was going on in the churches that he wrote those letters to. And we are in, uh, in the letter to the Romans. If you remember, uh, you could go back a couple of weeks and see some of this, but Paul is in Corinth. He's wintering in Corinth. He wants to expand his ministry. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to travel on to Spain. And so he's sending a letter to the Romans. And he's want, he wants to tell them about his ministry. He wants to tell them uh, that he's coming through there. He wants to garner support so that he can continue on and, and share as he continues on farther out from Spain in his missionary journeys. That's his plan. That's his goal and desire. We know that it doesn't end up that way. In fact, Paul's trip to Rome doesn't come on, on his own accord, but instead he's, he's shipped to Rome in chains Uh, under arrest after he returns to Jerusalem. But he's writing a letter to Rome, and this is one of the the first letters that we see where we can begin to understand what Paul would have been sharing when he would come into town and began to plant churches. In all of those other letters, he's replying, he's sending letters off to churches that he's already been to. He's probably uh, had a letter that he sent there, and then, and then the letter came back, and, and back and forth, they, they sent letters back and forth. That's different here. Rome is the first place he's sending a letter to that we have, where he hasn't been there yet. Um, he's, he's telling them, giving him the, his, his initial basic teachings. And so Rome, the book to the Romans gives us a logical progression of his statement of faith, of what he thinks we need to know, what every church needs to know. The Roman church, if you remember, I've told you a couple times, but the Roman church was divided between Jewish believers and Gentiles. The Jews had been sent out. The Gentiles had had been in charge of the church. The Jewish believers came back, and now there was discord between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And so Paul is, is much of what he's writing. In fact, what we'll look at today a little bit is helping to try to bridge that gap between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, to try to to place the law in its, in its right perspective so that they can understand it better. And so we continue on. Last week we looked at, at Romans chapters 1 through 3, and we began to walk through Paul's, again, bare bones, basic instructions as he begins to walk through the gospel. 
Right away in chapter one, he talks about the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man, and that leads him down this path to contrast the righteousness of God with the unrighteousness of man. Paul wants us, this is what I said last week, Paul wants us to understand our sin. Much of what happens in the beginning of Romans, especially in Romans 1 through 3, but even in some of what we'll talk about today, Paul wants us to understand our sin. We cannot cannot know or understand the good news of the gospel if we do not know and understand the bad news of our sin. And so Paul spends much time in these first couple of chapters telling us that, that we know the truth about God. It's all around us. It's in creation. It's all around us. And, in fact, it's in us, and we suppress it. We talked about how there's this spring inside of us, and we push it down. We suppress the truth about God, but we really have no excuse, Paul says. The truth of God is all around us. But instead of worshiping God in the way that we should, we worship created things rather than the creator. We worship some of the things created by the creator, but sometimes we create our own things to worship. And we worship created things rather than the creator. And he gives a list of sins. As we walked through that last week, I told you your sin, your struggle is in there because they're all there. It's not a comprehensive list, but it's comprehensive for our hearts, for our souls. We're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, Paul says. Sin's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because Paul tells us that our sin is going to be dealt with by the wrath of God. And that is no little thing. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on our Sin, there's no way around that. Sin is going to be dealt with through the wrath of God. But, turn to Romans 3. This is where we ended last week. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, he gives us the answer. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He says, what's the answer? Righteousness that comes from God. That's our hope. It's a free gift, he says. It comes through grace. It comes through the action of Jesus. It comes through redemption. It comes through God sending a propitiation, an offering that turns away the wrath of God we talked about last week. That God sends Jesus as a propitiation and it's received by faith. That is our hope. And so then Paul continues on in this letter and he continues on to tell us more about that hope. Remember, it's a logical argument, a logical presentation that Paul gives to us here in Romans. And so he continues on, even right there in chapter 3, he says... 
He says, this is, this is the answer. It's a righteousness that comes from God. It's, through, it's a free gift that comes through God. He has provided the, the propitiation, the, the, the offering to turn away the wrath. He says it comes through the redemption, the act of Jesus, and it's received by faith. And then he says in verse 27 of chapter 3, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law that works? No, but by the law of faith. You see, he realizes that we want to have a part in this and we want to have something, we want to have something that we boast in, that we proclaim, that we have done. And he says, what, what can you boast in? It was God's gift of grace. It was Jesus' redemption and action. It was God's propitiation. What is our part in it? And, and especially the Jewish believers, but, but many of the believers would have said, the, the law, that's our part. We're going to keep, Jesus has provided it for us, but we're going to keep it by keeping the law. We're going to do it by keeping the law. And Paul says, you don't boast. You don't boast in the law. And he continues on with this logical argument into chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say, he says? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He goes on in verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after but it was before he was circumcised. He says, Paul says, this redemption, this faith that we have, this promise that comes from God for redemption of his people, it's not based in the law because Abraham, the father of all Israel, was saved through faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was righteous before before he obeyed the command, before circumcision came, before the, the, the seal of the law, circumcision, was on him, before he was circumcised, he was righteous through faith. It says in verse, chapter 4, verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It comes through faith not through keeping of the law. If you continue on in chapter 4, verse 22, says this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then he says this, this is good news for us. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, verse 24, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now we can know as well. You and I can know as well. We can know redemption through faith. It doesn't have to come through works of the law. We are not going to boast in the law. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification so that we might be justified, so that we might be made right with God. And as Paul walks through that in chapter 4, he begins to think about what does it mean for our justification. And so he continues on in chapter 5. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been made right before God, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just justification, but peace. We've been made right with God, and now we not only have this right relationship with God, but we also have peace with him in our relationship. And Paul rejoices in the peace that comes through God. And it reminds him again of the gospel. So as we walk through chapter 5, he reviews a little bit of the gospel that he gave us in chapters 1 and 2. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 5, this was on the screen as you came in this morning. He reviews the gospel. He says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. He says, you were enemies, we were, we were sinners, we were enemies, Paul says, of God. We were destined to have his wrath poured out on us. But while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, while we were still worshiping created things rather than the creator, while we were still running away in our unrighteousness, Christ died for us. And we have been saved by him from the wrath of God. And we are now reconciled. We were far from God. We were far, we were as far from God as you could be. We were far from God, but now we have been brought into relationship with him. But now we're close. And that reminds Paul of our sinfulness. Do you see this over and over again? Paul rejoices in the hope that we have, and it reminds him of how, how badly, how desperately we needed it. And so in chapter 5, he, he, he tells us we've been reconciled through God. And then in verse 12, picking up from where we left off, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Paul, Paul again, just remembers remembers our sinfulness. And he, and he even goes back to say, he says, we, we had it from the very beginning. You were born with it. You were born in this state. That sin entered into the world through Adam and sin was passed on from every descendant of Adam, which is every descendant, every person. That sin has been passed on through him and death spread through Adam to each one of us. We were born in sin. We were born in sinfulness. Sin entered in from the very beginning. But, continuing on in chapter 5, verse 15, but the free gift that comes through Christ, through faith in Christ, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Sin came into the world through Adam, and sin came to each one of us because we all came from Adam. Sin was there. But there's a new Adam. Jesus, Jesus has brought the free gift of redemption to all of the trespassers, to all of the sinners, to you and I. 
It started in Adam, and it was passed on from him. But now we are justified in Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We have hope. We were lost because of Adam. We were lost because of our sinful nature. We were lost because of of the sin that was part of us as we were born, this desire to want our own way, and we were born. But now, through Jesus, we have hope. And he continues on in chapter 6. He continues on to say, we've been made righteous through one man's obedience. And that begins to stir in him. As you read this, you can kind of picture this going on in Paul's head. He begins to think, made righteous? How can we be made righteous? The people, as he writes this letter to Rome, they're going to read this and they're going to think, how can we be made righteous? Because I know, because I know my sinfulness. And you say that I'm righteous? And so he continues on. Chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. There is hope for us. We have a newness of life. This old way that we used to walk in, we don't walk in that way anymore. Now we have a newness. We have a newness of life. In chapter, in, in verse 5, he says that we're united with him. And in verse 6, he says that the old self has been crucified with him so that we are no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin, he says in verse 6. He says there's a whole new creation. This old man that came from Adam was one way, but now there's a newness to us, a newness of life. And so he walks through that in chapter 6. Skip down to verse 17. He says it this way. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you now have become slaves of righteousness. You are now slaves of righteousness. You have this, this new heart. You have this new creature in you. You are new. Newness of life. You are new. Now, and he continues on in verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting from that time? What fruit were you getting when you were, when you were slaves to sin? What fruit were you getting from that time of the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fruit that you were getting before, the wages that you were getting before, those lead to death. But the gift of God, when you become a slave of righteousness, a slave of God, that fruit leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life, Paul says. Leads to sanctification. So the wheels are spinning for Paul. 
leads to sanctification, leads to perfection. It leads to the, this, this idea that, that there's no more sin in me. And so now Paul continues on thinking about sanctification. And so he goes in then to chapter 7. He says, how can we, how can we think, how can we talk about sanctification? How, because look at verse 13 in chapter 7. It says, sin needs to be shown to be sin. That sin might be known to be sin. I know my sin. He knows my sin. How? How can we talk about sanctification? And Paul says in chapter 7, the law is there to point out our sin. It's to help us to see our sin. It reveals our unrighteousness. It reveals how sinful we are. It shows sin that, that sin might be shown to be sin. And he goes on then in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh. I am sold under sin. Verse 15 of chapter 7. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says, this law continues to reveal inside of me this, this sin of my flesh. I, 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 I don't do what I want to do. There, I, I see the good that I want to do, but I can't do it. But the things that I know I don't want to do, I continue to do over and over and over again, Paul says. He goes on in there in chapter 7. Verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. I know this sin that I have inside me, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this sinfulness that I know I have, that I know I am? And he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he can deliver. And so that leads him directly into chapter 8. Verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. He says, I have all this bad that I continue to do. I have all this good that I see and I can't do. What a wretched man I am, but thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ, and now there's no condemnation for us. We are free in Christ, he says. He goes on in chapter 8 to say, in verse 9, you, however, you are not in the flesh, but now you are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Because the spirit, he says, works inside of us. Spirit, he goes on to say, the spirit that raises Jesus from the dead also works inside of us to make us more and more like Jesus, to make us more and more like who he has called us to be. He says it in verse 16 of chapter 8, Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are in fact children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. One of my favorite passages in Colossians that Paul shares about is the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. It's the spirit of Christ at work in us. That's our hope of the gospel, Paul says. That's our hope is the spirit is at work in us. And if that's true, if that's true, he continues on in chapter eight. If the spirit is at work in us, if we are heirs, with Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus? If all of that is true, if the Spirit is working inside of us, then to verse 31 of chapter 8, he says we no longer have to worry about being separated from God. He says, what should we say to these things in verse 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says in verse 37. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For those who are found in the righteousness that comes from God, we no longer have to be worried about being separated by our sin. God, it says, is for us. He sent his son. He sent a propitiation, offering for propitiation for us. Jesus, Jesus died as that propitiation, as that offering for wrath, he says. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The spirit himself works in us. Paul's telling us that the whole person of the Trinity, every part of it, that God is for us. He sent his son for us. That Jesus died for us and the spirit works in us. That all of the Trinity works to rescue us and redeem us from the wrath of God. We are more 
than conquerors through him who loved us. And there is nothing, there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. It's a logical argument that Paul gives here in Romans 1 through 8. But it is the most important argument, the most important presentation of the gospel that you'll see or hear or read or know. We have hope. We have hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we celebrate together this morning as we share in communion. The worship team is going to come and lead us in just a moment. As you know, we have open communion here. There's an invitation in your bulletin. If you can live under that invitation, if you have placed the full weight of your hope in Jesus, if you believe that God sent his son who died and bore the full weight of the wrath of God on him and the spirit is alive and at work in you because of your faith in him, we want you to celebrate in communion with us together today. In just a few moments, the elders will lead us. They'll, they'll uh, lead you to leave from your pews and to come up and to file forward. There's two cups inside these trays. We ask you to take both. There's one that has the bread in the bottom and one that has the juice in the top. We want you to take both of those cups and return to your seats, and then we will share in communion together. Hope in the resurrection this morning. That we have hope through Jesus Christ. The worship team is going to lead us. The elders will lead us in communion in just a moment. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary Perfect Holy One crushed your Son Who drank the bitter cup reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you The Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus, thank you Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, By your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near. Your enemy you've made your friend Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace Your mercy and your kindness know no end with us. Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now 
represents the blood of Jesus which was shed for our sins. Take and drink and rejoice. Let me invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. Paul writes at the conclusion of his letter to the Romans, he says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings that has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for